The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Raising the Bar with your host, Amy Bredo. Do you ever listen to that inner voice? The one that tells you that you can achieve great things just by giving yourself a little push? Making that voice heard is what this show is all about. What if you could turn your negatives into positives? You'll hear from others who have embraced that personal drive and will help you raise the bar. Now, here is Amy Bredo. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Raising the Bar. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super excited for today's guest to share with you. Um, His name is Joe DeSena. Did I say that the right way, Joe? Uh, you did, DeSena. DeSena, forgive me. I want to be careful about that. You may know him as the creator of the Spartan race, but I'm very interested in him sharing a lot about his story because um, there were some really interesting things that I had read about you. Hopefully they're all true. And um, I think it'd be really interesting for our listeners to hear about you. Um, so welcome. Thank you so much for making time for us today all the way from Singapore. No problem. My, my pleasure. What time is it there? It is exactly opposite of the time there. So, oh. um, <laughs> okay, um, so it's yeah. night. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, Joe, I found your, I read some different articles on you, you know, looked you up on LinkedIn. I'm so glad I was able to connect with you there. Can you tell me a little bit about your upbringing? It was, it was super interesting to me to see how entrepreneurial you were at such a young age. So I was curious to see kind of what foundations both of your parents had laid for you that kind of molded you into who you've become. Yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, you know, I think about it all the time because we have four children and you're try- trying to mold them mm-hmm. to be, to be good kids and have uh, resiliency and grit and passion towards life. And wh- where does that come from? Um, I almost feel like if the household is too neat and too organized and things are too good, uh, you're actually doing them a disservice. I think about my crazy upbringing, and um, it was not, it was none of that. It was, uh, you know, parents fist fighting, living in the middle of organized crime capital of the world. It was just craziness. And um, my mom got into vegan, Indian culture, monks, um, spirituality, meditation in the 70s in Queens, which was very forward thinking. And, um, you know, my dad was into business and everything else that went on in Queens. And, um, and, but, but, you know, I think, uh, I think if you're a young person, you grow up in that environment, you, you make your way, I, you know, you hustle because everybody around you is hustling. That's one thing about the neighborhood is guys that owned uh, pizza places were up at 5 a.m. Um, pre- prepping their food and. Uh, construction companies or trucks were starting early in the morning, so you, you're around uh, people that just got it done, whether they were going to jail or getting killed or, or mixing right. cement. And um, and then my mom was put, pushing this whole health and wellness thing. Did it mix well for you? Were your parents 
married. I didn't know if they split up at a young when you were younger, or I wasn't sure. Um, they split up when I was thir- twelve or thirteen. Okay. And, um, okay, I'm sorry to interrupt you. So you pretty much, you know, had the first chunk of life with both of your parents in the house, and so that's interesting. There was um, some disagreeable situations, of course, and then your mom pushing the health agenda. Did that go well with you? I know that as I've tried to get healthier in my life, my youngest especially looks at me like I'm insane and just wants pizza and ice cream. So how did that go with you being like, you know, a teenage no, we, kid? We, we thought she was nuts. My sister <laughs> thought she was nuts. All, all the family members said she was crazy, right? Because raviolis and cannolis uh, took, were the topic of conversation about her, around every meal. And um, so she was, a, she was a crackpot. And, um, and then it's only later in life. Uh, that you come around to realizing, oh my God, she was right with all right. these things. So she opened up my mind at a young age to the possibilities, but I wasn't buying any of it. And then, and then later on, I um, I accepted it all. Were you always a really active kid? As far as being physically fit, were you in sports? You know, what kind of things did you like to do outside of, you know, your job ventures that we'll talk about? I was not in sports. I. Um, I was I did race a, a BMX bike for a while um, as a teenager, but I did a lot of construction work from a very young age, so that was my sport. I um, I was I was laying bricks and pouring cement and cleaning swimming pools, and so I physically worked, you know, twelve-hour days carrying sheetrock. I, I I loved it, uh, shoveling sand. So um, extremely active, um, but but a little chubby just because of the diet of, of, of raviolis, pizza, and pasta. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but, um, but fit. But I was fit. Yeah. Right. I, I was reading about how your dad had you load a truck and you spent the entire day loading the truck either with brick or cement in the hopes that you could sleep in the next day. So when that didn't happen, <laughs> I'm assuming this was kind of, you know, a work ethic your dad was instilling in you throughout your life. So when that type I of thing, I don't, I don't think it was a strategy on his part. I yeah. just think that's the way it was. I mean, if you, I went back to the neighborhood, um, six or eight months ago with a video camera and we videotaped some of the guys at brothers ravioli and at the old company that I sold the construction business. And, um, it's just a way of life. Like seven days a week, five a.m. truck start up. That's just it's just a way it, for the guys that weren't doing you know the other way and going to jail. Um, and and so I don't I, I don't think he woke up that morning and said I'm going to teach him a lesson. I think it was like oh wow he moved that entire truckload of brick last night. Now we can get more work done today. That makes. That's, oh, go ahead. That just became part of my ethos. Is why it's just you got to be relentless. Were you also also that way in school? Yeah, uh, no, I did not get good grades. I, uh, <laughs> I was not um, a good student. I, I like to learn, right. but I just I, I just couldn't sit still, and it just drove me. I just was looking at the clock, and I just wanted to get out of there, unless there was a great story. If there was a great story, I listened intently. I think that's not uncommon for a lot of people. Like I know I did never liked to read until I was out of college, and now I wish I made more time to read. You know, amongst all the yeah. other things that I do. So uh, that brings me to ask you about your pool cleaning business at age thirteen. How did that come about? Um, my neighbor was the head of the Banana Organized Crime family. My father 
was going through some tough times. My mother and him, he had divorced. Okay. And my neighbor asked me to come clean his pool, which I did, and he paid me. And um, he took me in under his wing like, like uh, he didn't have a son. Okay. And then before you know it, he started recommending me, uh, because I was a trustworthy, hardworking kid, to other bosses of families and, you know, uh, guys under them, and before you know it, by the time I graduated college, I had um, I literally had 750 customers in the in the greater Queens area, um, and we had an incredible business because of it. That's amazing to me. So at such a young age, so this was all through high school and college. Did you recruit friends? Did you, you know, need to get equipment? Was it something that you had to invest in? I did. I I, I um. I would recruit uh, kids from the neighborhood to come work with me, and and um, invariably they didn't last a day, two days, three days, um, because I wasn't getting the kids that I described earlier that were their sons and nephews of of the um, people working in the pizza places or the construction companies. I was getting the kids that were available ah. and um, and weren't doing anything, and. What was really surprising to me, I think about to this day, was they would talk about how like uh, they didn't know what they wanted to do in life. Some of them were depressed. Uh, they were going to do, and I thought to myself, I am so friggin' busy, nonstop. I, I don't even have time to get depressed or not know what I'm like. I just need to make it through my day, and um, and so I really started thinking very early on about that concept, which is in the book we wrote, Spartan Up that um, if you look at a developed country like the United States and look at the number of psychologists that exist here, you don't find that in the third world. And you don't find it in the third world because they're at a different level of needs, right? They're, they just want water, food, and shelter. Right. And, and when you, it's just a much more ref refreshing place to be. Um, so even, you know, it goes into our whole philosophy here at Spartan, even if you're in the first world and you're doing well and you're living in a nice house or apartment, you got to live like you're still fighting for milk right. and um, just want water, food, and shelter because it makes life so much more exhilarating. Um, I know the instinct is to get a real comfortable life, sit on a couch, drive a Ferrari, but um, that's not, that's not a um, rewarding life and that's not a, a happy life. Oh my God, you you hit it on the head. You know, I know we didn't have a whole, ch you know, a chance to speak before this, and it's actually one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you because in seeing everything that you do with the Spartan Race, before I read any backstory on you, I loved your drive and your mindset, and you know, with this whole kind of age of like positive mindsets and this and that and manifesting abundance, I'm a big believer in like get off your ass and go do something. <laughs> and I, um, you know, I, one of my kids is adopted from Ethiopia. He was 11 when we adopted him. And so I'm really thankful for what you said, because in the few trips that I've had there, uh, you're right, that is how they live. And they're not depressed. They just get up, they work their tail off, and then they're happy for what they have. So I, um, I find it very interesting how you live and how you welcome people you know, to your place in Vermont and everything, and, and we can get into that. I, I think you're kind of a um, a pioneer in, in that mindset where work ethic should be just, in my eyes, I feel like work ethic should be a given. Have I always had the work ethic I have now? No. Um, but it's developed and it's created. 
I actually also thought of you this morning when I was doing 500 skater jumps and all your burpees, and I was not feeling like a Spartan. I love it. <laughs> it, I was, love it. it was rough. But um, do you think, though, that, I mean, there's got to be a few of those kids or guys that worked with you throughout high school or college. Is there anybody that sticks out that you feel like you really made an impression on or there, maybe that they shared your ethic and attitude? Well, it's funny. The only ones that lasted and they outworked me and they made an impression on me were the Eastern Europeans. Ah. When I landed my Eastern European hires from Poland, and you got to remember this is back in the 80s, right? So, so this is, it's not Poland today. This was, this was Poland when it was in rough shape. Right. Um, these guys didn't ask vacation days. They didn't ask um, for more money. They just wanted more hours. Just give me more hours. And um, you couldn't break them. And so uh, when, when I sold the business, they ended up buying the, I mean, I gave them a sweetheart deal. They ended up, they're multimillionaires now. Oh, that's so, awesome. uh, and they deserve it. Um, so, I mean, huge impression. And so, again, you can't compete. We can't compete um, with people that are fighting for milk. And that mindset, you, what's the name of the, uh, the current big tennis player, the male tennis player? Oh, it escapes me. I apologize. Starts, last name starts with a J. I think he's uh, Eastern European. Same thing. He's, mm-hmm. he's, um, he's an animal, right? He's still fighting for milk. Oh, absolutely. I love that saying. I'm going to have to yeah. kind of did – you, did you tag that line anywhere already? Because that's a good one. <laughs> I'll totally give you the, the props for it. So now graduating from college – did you just study business in college? What did you study? I studied um, textiles, funny enough, but the, the business of textiles. Okay. So you get out of college, you decide to sell your business, and then move to Wall Street. Is, is Am I in the right order here? I sold my business and I went to Wall Street. That's exactly what happened. What made you do that? <laughs> I mean, what year is this now? This is late 80s, early 90s? This is 94. Okay. So how long did you spend on Wall Street? And I mean, were you already married during this time? Um, I know you're no. married. Okay. No, I met my, I went to Wall Street. I, I, I met a nice girl in the neighborhood when I was running that, that the uh, construction business and the pool business. Okay. And I had a buddy in, uh, that I met in college, that, an older gentleman that was pushing me to go to Wall Street. He said, you're wasting your time doing this. And I said, well, I got a girl. I'm going to settle down. I got this great business. I got 750 customers. And he said, you are an idiot. You don't know what you're doing. You better get to Wall Street. You're too young. It's probably 24, probably four years out of school. And he convinced me to go to Wall Street. And... Um, and boy, he was right. I mean, if, if the goal was to make some money, which at that point it was for me, right? I, I wanted more milk. Um, I uh, that was the place to be. I could I could work um, just as many hours as I was working, but make a lot more money. And so I did a decade on Wall Street and um, built a nest egg. Met my wife, and then we moved to Vermont. Um, my dream was to to get a farm and and raise uh, goats, chickens, and kids. Oh my gosh! So we had um, we had animals, we had vegetables, and we have children. <laughs> we have animals, we have vegetables, and we have children. And who needs more? 
Who needs more than that? <laughs> I have four children too, and I'm like, hmm, maybe I need a little farm now. You know, we're going to go <laughs> and take a quick break before we move forward. Um, so I just before we get into something else that I didn't want to have to interrupt you. So you are listening to Raising the Bar with Joe DeSena and me, Amy Bredo, and we will be right back. Have you considered expanding your family through adoption, but don't know where to start? Are you looking to get some answers and direction on how and where to start? Reach out to the community at the Echo Foundation. The Echo Foundation offers five distinct areas of support. For those children in need throughout the world, we are here to support you and guide you through your process and beyond. For more information, please visit amybrado.com and click on the Echo Foundation. That's amybrado.com and click the Echo Foundation. We go through all kinds of challenges in life. How we deal with them is a different story. If we carry them on our shoulders, we can experience health problems, relationship issues, and other negative aspects these challenges can pose. Jeanette Abney's Precious Predicaments is here to help you pick up and sort out the pieces through education and encouragement. You don't have to live in fear and pain. Let's find solutions together. Precious Predicaments is heard live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. There are over 147 million orphans and at-risk children in the world. It's a global problem, but you can make a huge difference. You can help from home or on the ground serving opportunities. Please visit amybrado.com and click on the Echo Foundation tab to request more information. Our vision is to build a self-sustaining ecosystem of ideas, individuals, and organizations equipped to carry out the mission of hope for every orphan in the world. Help us with our goal of helping every child in need. Visit amybrado.com. You're listening to Raising the Bar with Amy Bredo. We'd love to hear from you with any comments or questions about the show. The email address is amy.raisingthebar at gmail.com. That's amy.raisingthebar at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. And welcome back. You're listening to Raising the Bar. We are talking with Joe DeSena today, founder of the Spartan Race and so many other things, which we are just about to dive into. So, Joe, you had told me when you were on Wall Street, you know, you'd had a girl. Is this the same girl that became your wife or did you meet her later? I met her later. Met her later. Okay. So you're married. We're having children. We go to Vermont. Now, if I read correctly, very small population where you guys bought. Yeah, like four, 450, uh, small population, great, idyllic, beautiful town, uh, mountains, great farm, great setup, um, very quiet, like hard to get people to visit, oddly enough. There's like 70 million cars within one gas tank away, but people just don't take the time to come up to Vermont. I think you get so wrapped up in traffic every day and just on the in the hamster wheel of doing whatever it is you do in your life when you're in a city that it's hard to break away and go to the mountains and yes. um but if anybody gets a chance to come you're always welcome to visit uh-huh. i remember once on facebook i invited a million people and my wife flipped out but, <laughs> but very, very few people uh, literally one million people very few people um 
actually take me up on it. How many but, showed uh, up? Yeah, so we're we're in this town, and uh, and then after a decade in the town, doing a lot of cool stuff, uh, we just took off about eight months ago to come to Singapore for a year. We want to teach the kids Mandarin and a different culture, and I want to launch. Um, I can't believe I'm yawning. You might be the first interview I've ever done where I yawn. I'm really so sorry about that. That's unheard can't tell of. It, can't, <laughs> can't tell anybody. Um, so, um, so anyway, we came to Singapore. We're here, and uh, and we're just having a blast. And we're going to leave June 10th. We're going to head back to the States for a few months, and then we're going to go to Japan next year. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Let me backtrack a little bit. So while you're in Wall Street – now as an adult, you were, or then as an adult, um, early on, you were always very active. So you did train for marathons, Ironmans, and all that. I kind of want to give our listeners that are just learning a, a lot about you um, kind of your backstory and how the Spartan Race came about. So were you doing all those things while you were on Wall Street, or is it something you did later, or was your, you know, this need to be competitive something that was in you simultaneously with your career. No, when I, when I was on Wall Street, I, I started to gain some weight and just not feel healthy because I was sitting in front of a computer just typing and, and it was one thing that I said I would never do. I felt alive and great when I was mixing cement and putting bricks down and just running around in the truck and um, it just felt awful. And so um, I stumbled upon a guy in the stairwell one day when my elevator was broken in the building in New York. Mm-hmm. He was running up and down the stairs for training for an adventure race. I had never heard of an adventure race. In the time it took to get from the first floor to whatever floor I was going to, he he convinced me to come to start start training with him and do an adventure race. And that was it. It was hook, line, and sinker. And that was probably mid-90s. And so I just went nuts. I started racing all over the world. I felt alive again. Any chance I could take a break for five days from from the Wall Street stuff, I did. I traveled the world. I raced like crazy. I saw every every part of the world. And in the in the process, I said, "Could I live here? Could I live here? Could I live in northern Quebec? Could I live in Alaska? Could I live in Switzerland?" Hmm. And um, ultimately, found Vermont, which sounds uh, maybe silly, but I, I've seen it all. And and um, I'll tell you what, it's Vermont's pretty unbelievable. I mean, obviously, California is beautiful, but I don't know. I can't deal with traffic and that many people. Yeah, and you just like probably being closer to the east side of the country, huh? Yeah. <laughs> closer to home. So tell me in this transition of you doing all these races, I know it was you and a friend kind of putting your heads together. Um, you know, how did the Spartan race, like what was the brainchild? What was that like sitting around the table moment where you're like, let's do this? And, and I, uh, I had been on races for a decade. Okay. So this this is actually 16 years old. This this uh, project, and I um, couldn't make it work. It, the races I, w- I was putting on were just too long, too difficult, but they fit my ethos. Was I it was the a death m- race, or, or what is it called? Even, I'm sorry. even before that, okay. just crazy races, 300, 400 miles, and oh, wow. and. Um, I just, um, my goal was to just break people and push people to the limits, but there was only, you know, a hundred people that would show up to those. I couldn't make the numbers work. So I was, I was losing money for a decade, putting them on, including the death race, but, but having a blast felt very purposeful. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then in 2010, after listening to a friend of this guy, Heath, um, that I would do some training with, tell me, you really should put on 
a military style obstacle race and I, I didn't know what he was talking about and it just sounded wacky to me. It didn't fit the quote unquote professional feeling I had with the long distance biking, running, kayaking in the mountains. Um, it felt like, I felt like I would be scaling it down a bit and, and um, every workout we did he would say, you gotta, I'm telling you, you gotta do this military inspired obstacle race. I remember in the 1980s there was something on television and um, and so you know the name Spartan popped up in 2010. We took a shot. 700 people showed up, which was that's amazing. A small number today, it is, but a, it is. a giant number then. And um, and we had a business. You know, a girlfriend of mine uh, two summers ago told me she was going to train for your race, and I was like, "What the heck is that?" And when I looked it up, I'm like, "Why do you want to die?" Like that's the first thing I said. So when I was reading about you and I was reading about the death race, I was thinking like. Okay, he's a great encourager. He's a motivator, maybe a dictator. Not really sure. <laughs> I mean, there's got to be some kind of—I uh, don't want to say sick pleasure in breaking people, but in training, working with people myself, like I get that you—you're not breaking them to kill them. You're breaking them to make them great or to to reveal their greatness to them. I think. I don't know if you think about it that way. I could be no, I think, I totally think blowing that. smoke, but no, I think you don't know yourself unless you push yourself to your limits. You, you just. You, you need to learn more about yourself and that only happens when you're completely, listen, your, your biceps and your thighs only grow when, when they're under pressure and, uh, you know, think about going into the gym and, and completely shocking the system. That's how your muscles grow. Your brain works the same way. You've got to take yourself completely out of your comfort zone and, um, and so that's, that's why you do it. How would you tell people to train for a race like this? You know, when you say milit military style race, and I'm reading some things that you do, like I wouldn't even know how to do half of that. So it's definitely not a beginner's thing. And I, um, I was chuckling a bit when people were asking, you know, if it was comparable to like a Tough Mudder and the way people pretty much just screw, not everybody, but a lot of people go there to screw around and have a good time and everything. And I mean, this is serious. This is legit kick your ass do or die racing. So for somebody that has it as a goal, who maybe hasn't done it before, and I know people have come to Vermont and stayed with you, and um, I want to talk about the guy that you fed apples to for 10 days and everything, you know, how would you recommend that someone goes about preparing for this mentally and physically? I always joke and say you check into prison for 30 days. <laughs> But, but keep your but, pants pulled up. <laughs> you, gotta, you obviously got to do, um, it's really simple. You got to do Bikram yoga, in okay. my opinion. You got to go run, walk, or crawl, you know, 20 miles on a, on a Saturday with weight on your back. Um, you've got to do a bunch of body weight exercises, burpees, pull-ups, et cetera, even if you're awful at pull-ups. Right. And um, you just got to keep upping the game. So... You know, if this Saturday was 20 miles with weight on your back, uh, next Saturday is 25, and and with hills and with 40 pounds on your back instead of 20, and you don't have to do it for long. You know, in 50 days you can get an in incredible shape. Um, but I always tell people start out and do a lot of Bikram yoga because um, because you want to avoid injury. Injuries injuries the the tough part. Not that, getting in shape. Yeah, you know that's interesting. Um, it's been suggested, recommended to me because I do lift or whatever a lot. And it's like, they're like, you know, you need yoga. And I, 
I grew up with a dad that always did yoga, and so it was kind of always around me. But it's interesting to think about that because now here I am, 42 years old, having some injuries that probably could have been avoided had I had the flexibility and the, you know, everything else I think that that yoga offers. So it's interesting to me, that whole training concept, because it's the mental and physical right there in in both of those. Um, So let's talk about Vermont. So you get to Vermont, very small population. How much land did you guys buy? Uh, We bought a lot of land. A lot of land. So it's very inexpensive up there. So we bought a ton of land and um, I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) We wanted animals and kids. (laughs) I don't know why we bought a lot of land, but I, I renovated a bunch of buildings and, um, and that felt really good because um, I like saving things. Right. And we restored a bunch of the old businesses, and that felt really good. Um, and then, like you said, we started inviting people up. And I had a guy. I had a guy come up that um, he was six hundred ninety-six pounds, and we got him down Gosh. to two hundred and sixty pounds. Um, what made then, him find you? Do you know? Well, I didn't. I didn't hear you. Why? I'm sorry. What made him find you? Like, oh, I found I found him. He came to a Spartan him. race. Um, somebody tricked him into doing a Spartan race to try to change his life. And oh I heard him. I called him and I got him up there. Took his keys, took his money. We were on lockdown and uh, transformed him. Is this Apple Man? No, Apple Man was second. He had second. heard about the first guy. And, okay. Uh, Apple Man was a blast. But, um, but Apple Man's girlfriend uh, had one of these disorders where I almost think she she wanted him unhealthy um, because when she picked him up after we we got him down a hundred pounds very quickly in like wow. thirty days. Oh wow! Uh, he um, they went right to Ben and Jerry's on the way out of Vermont, and uh, he gained like twenty something pounds that day. You know that's not hard to do when you tell somebody that they think it's unbelievable. And just with my experience in the bodybuilding world, um, you know you can get yourself so lean and so healthy. And as soon as you go back to that food, I want to say one year after a competition, uh, I used to binge eat, and I gained twenty three pounds in three days. And that is, uh-huh. and that it's not good. It's physically painful to do that. So it's unfortunate that that she was like that. Um, It's kind of like a narcissistic behavior for her to kind of put that on him. But that's a whole nother show. So the first guy, I want to go back to him. I'm sorry, I don't know his name. The one that came to you or that you found that was 696. Chris, yeah, Chris. Chris. Now, how long did he stay with you? Chris stayed with us. uh, I'm going to screw this up. It's okay. I don't know know how long he stayed with us, but... um, but it was long enough to get him to 265-ish and do the, and, he, and he did a beast. He did the Vermont Beast Race. Wow. Um, and he said it for the first time in almost his whole life he was able to sit, or for a large part of his life he was able to sit in a single seat on the plane on the way home. Oh my gosh. Which uh, was, it was an amazing, it was, the whole thing was amazing, that whole process. You know, you've got to just feel, um, in, a, in a humble way I would think, but just like so good about the things that you've all the opportunities that have been offered to you that you've been able to pass like when you sold your construction business and now those guys that taught you so much just are you know yielding the harvest from that and I'm sure they're excited about that too and leaving that to their families and then somebody that you find that weighs you know over 600 pounds that you're able to help them do a beast race like I I can't imagine that and my wheels are spinning now like maybe this is a goal I need to set for myself I have no idea but 
you know, the fact that you did buy all that land, you've really been able to kind of have a course literally in your backyard. So, you know, I was reading that you set up um, kind of your training facility up in your barn at home, correct? I did. Um, I mean, it started with training the kids uh, every morning. I was training the kids, um, still training the kids. Uh, we get up 545 every morning, but in the barn, we put a nice training, uh, was a training barn. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, you're getting me uh, homesick the more oh, I talk. Oh, it's coming. It's coming soon. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, you're getting me homesick. I really, I'd love to see the, uh, the mountains again, but, but we're only going to be there. We're not going to be there very long, so, um, oh, well. Well, we have a lot more time, and I wanted to talk about it, so now you're stealing, my, you're raining on my parade. Just kidding. <laughs> um, how old are all your kids? So I've got, um, I've got a three-year-old. I've got a uh, three, six, eight, and ten. Oh, okay. So they're all pretty young. How yeah. do your, how does your three-year-old respond when, um, are they all boys, girls? I'm sorry. Two two girls are the younger and two boys are the older. And um, the younger girl has not gotten into the training program completely. And I'm and I'm feeling like uh, I don't want her left. I don't want her left behind because um, the other three literally have. Uh, it's going to sound very um, superficial, but they have six packs. They look ripped, and it may not be a big deal now. But you know, it's going to give them confidence in their teenage years, and it, it would is. suck. If I don't get this, uh, the same, you know, the young one on, on the same level. Creative coaching with her, huh? That's what that needs. You know, exactly. um, do you see, like, I mean, the kids must enjoy it because they're not fighting you on it. Maybe like your little one. And granted, she's only three. So she, hopefully she'll come around. I really kind of feel like three was the worst age ever for my kids. Um, I don't feel like there's terrible twos. I feel like it's a terror of a three-year-old. I, my youngest is 16, so it's been a while, but wow, yeah. Um, is it something, you know, you just have always, you've always done that with your kids. I'm assuming is, does your wife get involved with the training? Does she work out with you in the morning? She thinks I'm nuts, but, um, (laughs) but you know what? I mean, it's, it's this thing where, um, they fight it in the beginning and then, uh, they start to see when they're doing an athletic event or whatever that they're faster than all the other kids or they're stronger. Or literally, my son was doing a he was swim training tonight. It's like I mean, he's got like an eight pack. He's you know ten years old. Swimming is and, so good. Um, and people comment right, and so he and then it's like he starts to maybe put two and two together and say, oh, I put in all this work, and there are benefits to it. Well, and the health benefits alone. You know, yeah, we don't want to. Your kids aren't going to, I don't feel like, I don't get the idea from you that you're the kind of father that'd be like, yeah, kids, flaunt that and be a dick. You know, I I don't get that at all. But their level of physical fitness is going to be so different from so many kids that are way too attached to technology and sitting around eating Cheetos and drinking pop and staring at the TV. Um, I think it's a huge problem with kids today. I think work ethic is a huge issue. I think the whole, um, you know, when they talk about the millennials, that's my, that's the age of my kids. You know, I have always taught my kids to have a good work ethic. They work really hard. They've been in sports. They're good students. But sometimes I do kind of see that, like, weird American sense of entitlement pop up sometimes. So maybe I need to send them all to Vermont. How do you feel about that? <laughs> I would take them all. I, they, people they would send go. I, yeah, no problem. They would go. Um, well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to hear more from Joe DeSena about uh, – 
Vermont without trying to make him homesick and the Spartan race. You are listening to Raising the Bar and we will be right back. There are over 147 million orphans and at-risk children in the world. It's a global problem, but you can make a huge difference. You can help from home or on the ground serving opportunities. Please visit amybrado.com and click on the Echo Foundation tab to request more information. Our vision is to build a self-sustaining ecosystem of ideas, individuals, and organizations equipped to carry out the mission of hope for every orphan in the world. Help us with our goal of helping every child in need. Visit amybrado.com. When you see someone, are you seeing the person or the perception? We see labels such as fat, thin, black, white, rich, poor, but we don't always see the true identity. Listen for New Dimensions with Reverend Nicholas Barrett. On this program, we'll embrace the breaking down of societal paradigms, our norms, and acceptance of our false selves. You can find your identity the way that God intended. Forget all the labels that you think you see. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Have you considered expanding your family through adoption, but don't know where to start? Are you looking to get some answers and direction on how and where to start? Reach out to the community at the Echo Foundation. The Echo Foundation offers five distinct areas of support. For those children in need throughout the world, we are here to support you and guide you through your process and beyond. For more information, please visit amybrado.com and click on the Echo Foundation. That's amybrado.com and click the Echo Foundation. You're listening to Raising the Bar with Amy Bredo. We'd love to hear from you with any comments or questions about the show. The email address is amy.raisingthebar at gmail.com. That's amy.raisingthebar at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. And welcome back. Again, you're listening to Raising the Bar. We are talking with Joe DeSena this morning and just learning a little bit more about um, his background, his life, and what he is up to. So, Joe, I apologize for making you feel homesick for your place in Vermont, but I wanted to ask you to, I know um, you said it was a very small town and you were able to rehab buildings and, you know, uh, drum up or restore businesses. Did the people of that area accept you, or did they think you were a total nut job? Um, they think, uh, they thought, and they think I'm a total nut job. <laughs> I'm glad you're consistent. Like that's important. It's huge. Um, you know, as you were. Restoring- funny thing is, the funny thing is, though, um, in the neighborhood back in Queens with the pool business and the construction, I could stay over at anybody's house. All 700 customers, I could just walk in, open the fridge, you know, take off my shoes, sit on like I was friends with everybody. Right. I was a nutcase then too. I worked till midnight every night. I'd bring big lights out um, just to make sure I got the work done for when it was supposed to be done. And I was there, you know, at their in their backyards at 5 a.m. and complete crazy person. But somehow I, I fit in there. In in Vermont, I don't really fit in. Why do you think? Uh, just a different 
kind of mindset. It's just, um, you know, my father said to me, uh, you're there trying to get a lot of work done in a place where people went there not to get a lot of work done. So um, it's a very relaxed, slower, you know, you go to Hawaii or you go to an island, right? Everybody's just slower. Right. So it's just a different pace. When you describe your property and you say you miss the mountains and it's vast and there's acreage and there's animals. Now, when I envision that, I envision that to be very peaceful. But I've also read the backstory about when people come, they work, they build things, they hustle, they move, and a lot of them leave. When, you know, okay, so if I send my four kids to you <laughs> or when somebody shows up at your door just needing, is it some? Is it a place where people just... Um, have nothing or they're just in that kind of place in life where they've got to do something extreme to kind of find, I don't want to say find themselves, but do you know what I'm saying? I think I'm thinking about the last guy that showed up and he, he's a young guy, did really well in school, had a nice job, mm-hmm. had an article in Outside Magazine or something about me and, and just packed it up and showed up and, um, and it was fine. And, you know, I, 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 it's funny, I was on traveling, whatever, and I show up in town and I see this guy carrying a bucket um, across the field and the farm and I said, oh, it must be another one. And um, went over and talked to him and his story was uh, he just got caught up in the ridiculousness out of school in, in, in the nine to five job, sitting in front of a computer. It was completely um, useless, didn't feel alive, read the article and, and came and loved it. So uh, he now works for Spartan. That's awesome. How many, yeah. how many people that have just come and stayed because they needed to be there have ended up working for Spartan? Um, how many people have come that, to the farm and then worked for Spartan? Yeah, I was just curious if, if it was just like a handful, maybe a few. Uh, probably, probably a half a dozen or so. Oh, wow. That's pretty high. What is the – do you – come face to face with each person like, like are they literally like knocking on your front door like hi can I come in or like how does that work if someone's going to yeah, show up yeah I mean up? some people have just you know knocked on the door some some uh, you'd find them out in the field um, so they're just on your property wandering yeah some uh, send an email um, little little um, concerning at right. times but you know we've been away from the farm for a year now and, and we're going to be gone another year because we're going to be in Japan but um, and, and I don't I'm, I'm hope my wife's basically decided we're not going back there to live but uh, which would suck but um, well your wife said she doesn't want to go back to Vermont to live she doesn't want to go back huh where does she want to go just traveling or um, she wants to be she wants to be a little closer to human beings oh so <laughs> Yeah, so you know what it, her feeling is: the kids need um, a school where there's a lot of uh, sports activities and so forth. So, my feeling is, uh, my compromise is, um, I'll do that, but we're gonna do that. We're gonna we're gonna do it in really cool places. So that's awesome. Singapore, Japan, etc. That's amazing, and what an experience that is for your kids, especially to learn all those languages and and all of that. And and clearly, you'll probably still be keeping your farm in Vermont, correct? Like that's staying. I will definitely. I'll never get rid of the farm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's talk about 
is there anybody that has visited you and really just struck you in such a way um, and really made an impression on you that you've opened your door to? You know, I read that you said, you know, I'll help anybody. I just want them to see the spark. Or, you know, I'm paraphrasing, so if I don't have that right, I'm sorry. But I loved that. Uh, but a lot of teachers, you'll hear that from a lot of teachers. You'll hear that from a lot of, um, you know, martial arts masters. Like, you'll help anybody as long as they have that spark and they want to help themselves. But, but if they're just a, a bowl of mush, right? Please don't waste my time. I, I got no time for it. I interviewed a guy the other day in, in the UK named Barry Hearns. What mm-hmm. a character! Makes me look like I'm standing still. Wow. And, he, um, I said to him, look, so many people reach out to me and want to know how do you get motivated or whatever. And he said, look, your parents gave you life. They right. brought you on this planet. You owe it to the planet, to society that you're living in to add value. If you can't get motivated and get some shit done, you deserve to go into the corner, crawl up and die. <laughs> that's true. Awesome. That's a bit extreme, but, but he's kind of, I mean, that's deep down inside. That's how I kind of feel too. Right, I think that everybody has that, like, um, I. Ugh, it's like in the intro to this show, which is great, it's true, but, you know, you have that inner voice that, like, tells you, like, you know what, there's something bigger out there, you got to do it, you got to do it, you got to do it, and how many people do not ever listen to that? So, I'm curious to know, that, I mean, there's got to be some bowls of mush that really weren't, that showed up, like your guy that you know, lost 400 pounds, um, you know, ran the beast race and all that. And the sense of satisfaction that people must feel when they're able to complete your race is got to be unheard of. You know, how many people, like when you have, you have races all over the U.S., like what is the average turnout for a Spartan race now? We average about 8,000 people uh, at a race around the globe. Um, So very big numbers. We're averaging like a lot of kids. I don't even know what the kids' number is, um, and I'm averaging, you know, 600 emails a day coming in. 300 some days, 500, 600. My head is spinning. Oh my gosh! And so I said to somebody this morning, I was working out, and the guy was asking me the same question you just did about the race, and I said, "Yeah, my life gets worse every day, but there's a lot of people's lives that get better." Oh my Thank god! You. I'm but, sorry. So. <laughs> Oh, I'm no, but, sorry. <laughs> one thing I, I, I didn't want to do, and you, you would feel the same way. Anybody out there listening would feel the same. I just don't want to sit in front of a computer all day, every day. And that's, that's what I, I'm sitting in front of a computer right now. I mean, that's what, that's what I do. Well, we just have a few minutes, and then you need to run free and do your day. But I hope I'm actually, that. I'm actually standing, which, which gives some, um, you know, I'm going to change subjects for a second. Do it. I've been Go ahead. standing a ton. I, I'm always barefoot. And, yes. um, and this, this floor that I'm on is a stone floor. And I'm starting to wonder, I wonder, I read something somewhere where like, there's actually changes in your blood and your, and your biology when you stand in like grass and dirt. Really? And I wonder if there's the opposite effect, standing on stone barefoot all day, every day. So I got, I got to investigate that. Are you in pain or you're all right? It just doesn't feel as good as – maybe I got to get – I got to put some grass in the house or something. Get one of those like dog boxes you know, yeah. that, that has the natural grass in it. Um, exactly. I don't know how that would work but it's a funny thought. Uh, I don't know. I think there's something to be said about being barefoot and I don't know what that is. Maybe I'm a total hillbilly. I can't decide. But if I could be barefoot all the time, I would. 
And it's it's interesting. My kids had a soccer coach that spent a lot of time in Brazil, even though he was American, and to this day walks around nonstop, no matter what the weather, in Chicago, barefoot. Love I, don't, it. I don't know what it is. I love it too. I, I'm 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 not that extreme about barefoot in Chicago in the you know, but in the winter. But that's okay. So you know, as you're traveling, your next stop is home for a few weeks, a month or so, and then you're going to Japan for a year. And then I'm going to go to Japan for a year. Uh, what, eat a lot of sushi. Yeah, yeah. You and are you one of those people that can eat all the sushi and never get sick of it? I love sushi. All the sushi. You're going to eat all of it. <laughs> although I although I was in Japan doing a scouting trip and I went to the um, I went to the fish market, which is about one million square feet. I'm not joking. Holy and you look at it and you're like, I can't believe there's one fish left in the ocean. It's unbelievable. Yeah, you know, my husband, like I said, he travels a lot. I haven't had yet. I'm I'm sure I'll get to some areas of Asia at some point in my life. But, you know, I watch like Andrew Zimmer and stuff on TV and the stuff he's eating and I'm like appalled. I need to probably let that go <laughs> and just try everything. So you've, motiva- you've motivated me. You know, how many, I'm not, I'm, my mind is reeling about trying to invest, not trying, about investigating proper training for this race or this type of race or doing something like this. I've had a I hate running mentality for a long time. Yet I ran for the first time the other day and realized, like, you know, there's a lot of freedom in this. Like, you're just going. I, I find that I don't like to backtrack my running path. But, um, you know, so getting into the right state of mind for one of your races is, is something I might challenge myself with. What you got to do, I mean, you know this, you, you have to do two things. Um, and, and it sounds self-serving, but I'll give you a free entry. So it's really not about the money for me. Nice. Yeah. Thanks. To I'm going to hold up. you to that. <laughs> You have to sign up, number one, just do it. And then two, you gotta tell everybody you signed up. And then and then that's it, you're on the hook. And that that will create a domino effect. You're right. There's just doesn't exclude anybody. Everybody that does this gets the same result. It will create a domino effect that forces you to train, eat healthy, go to bed early, wake up early, hang out with different friends, like everything changes. Because it's it's a scary enough event that you're not gonna just roll the dice. I don't wanna die. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Right. What is your favorite event in the race? Do you have a favorite? I think I like the spear throw. Who doesn't? Who doesn't want to just fling sharp things? No, I I, I <laughs> love the spear throw because it's a burpee maker. It's like okay, you know what I mean. You're gonna miss the thing probably, and then you got to do thirty burpees, and so there, there's a lot riding on the throw of that spear. I saw that. So if you don't complete an obstacle, you're just burpees till you die, or burpees till you complete it. 30 burpees. So, so you get one chance, you okay. miss, and then you do 30 burpees, just enough to really piss you off. Oh, okay. And then you get to go. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, like, I'm going to be stuck at an obstacle doing burpees, and the thing's going to end, and I'm still going to be there <laughs> doing that. How many, um, what do you call it? How many events or obstacles are in the race? How long is this race? I need to know exactly. The um, the race, the th- which one? The, the- like if I'm going to train for a Spartan and I'm going to tell people about this, I need to yeah, know what I'm, so, I need to so mentally you, prepare. So I think um, you would sign up for a sprint, and that would be approximately three and a half miles. So very doable, um, but you're going to be breathing heavy. You're going to be hurting. We'd have to sprint three and a half miles. No, no, you <laughs> I'm just kidding. Can go, you can go at an easy pace. Okay, and then are there obstacles in that one? 
Oh yeah, there's there's uh, you know 20, 20 plus obstacles. So that would be a good starting place for someone like me who hasn't done something like that. Absolutely, but I would I would challenge you and your team okay. to come to the farm on June eighteenth, uh, June eighteenth this summer coming up here in a month, and um, we have the Agogi, which is our sixty hour event, six zero. And I would, you could put it out to your listeners. I'll give everybody a free entry, and um, you'll see something like it'll be transformative, even though you don't compete. It's just watching it. I'll put you guys up. Bring your kids. Bring whoever you want. You would flip out. Oh my gosh, where would people find information on this? So if I come with my family, like I'm just going to show up and be like, hey, it's me. And you'll be like, okay. But if our other listeners want to, is it just SpartanRace.com that they go to, or yeah, how yeah. do they? Go, go to Spartan.com, type in a, a Gogi, A-G-O-G-E. Okay. And um, if they want something that's completely transformative, checking it out, um, just visually, they will flip out. It'll, be, it'll change their life. That would be amazing to watch. And now I'm looking at my calendar like, you know, I could actually make that work. Now, you are on LinkedIn. I know that's where I found you. And you're on Twitter as well, correct? What is I'm, your- I'm not personally on Twitter. Oh, you're not. Okay. For, for six years, I was not personally on LinkedIn. Somebody was just managing my account. And in the last six weeks, I went a little nuts. And I, um, I started figuring out this LinkedIn thing. And that's probably how we connected. <laughs> oh, I'm so thankful. I caught you at the right moment. I appreciate yeah. that. I'm, that's, a, that's the universe working uh, together. So that's exciting. Well, I appreciate your time. I know you probably have lots to do. I want to thank you so much for sharing with me and sharing for our listeners. I will be looking into the Agogi. Is that how I say that? Agogi, yeah. Agogi um, event that is happening on your farm in Vermont, June 18th. So now I have a public, you're calling me out publicly. So I probably should do something about that. But Joe, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I really appreciate your time. Um, To our listeners, you can um, hear this episode aired on Voice America Radio. It's also available on iTunes if you didn't catch the whole thing. And until next time, we will see you soon. Thanks for listening to Raising the Bar. Thank you for tuning in to Raising the Bar. Please listen for another edition with your host, Amy Bredo, next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, get out there and keep raising the bar. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.